Guys, welcome to the final score today. If I seem a little excited, if I seem a little nervous, it's with good reason. Everybody that knows me knows what a big-time Pittsburgh Steelers fan I am. I always have been for the last 40 years. Since I was old enough to know what a football was, I've stuck with them through the bad times, and, and there's been a lot more good times than bad times with Pittsburgh. And this guy was a big reason for the good times in the 90s. We're talking today with Mr. LeVon Kirkland. Uh, LeVon comes from Lamar, South Carolina, played, played at Clemson, was an All-American at Clemson, member of the Clemson Hall of Fame. Clemson's record in the four years, he was able to 39-8-1. He gets drafted in 92 to second round, played 11 years, nine with the Steelers, one with the Seahawks, <coughs> excuse me, one with the Eagles. He was second team linebacker for the All-90s NFL Decade team, Two-time Steelers MVP and two-time All-Pro and Pro Bowl. Let's welcome to the show. Welcome, Mr. Kirkland. How are you today? I'm doing perfect. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing good. We're doing good. And like I said, uh, a little nervous, a little excited, because uh, I haven't never never talked to a Pittsburgh Steelers. And what a way to start it off with a guy like you. I mean, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, anytime I can share. Um you know, my life, our career, I'm more than happy to do it. So okay. thank you for inviting me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, let's talk about, we'll, we'll start talking a little bit about Clemson because I've got some Clemson fans around this area that uh, that would love to hear a little bit about Clemson. Uh, you're from Lamar, you're from South Carolina. So uh, was Clemson always the obvious choice for you or were there other teams that were in the mix when, when you were deciding to go to college? No, actually I didn't have a whole lot of teams really recruiting me. Uh, I had the, I, I did have University of South Carolina and also the University of Clemson. So, but, you know, besides those two, uh, not a whole lot of schools. Um, I, I think that because the big, the smaller schools thought for sure I was going to Clemson and South Carolina. And, you know, it's unlike it is now where you got, um, you got the internet, you got, uh, streamlining, and so a lot of people, a lot of players now, it's, it's hard to miss on players, right. because everybody sees everybody, but back then, you know, your local news might have, you know, did some stories on you, or a um, local paper, but, you know, not a whole lot, especially Clemson, from where I'm from, is about three and a half hours, so um, they didn't really have a, a, a full idea of what I could do, and plus I was a little undersized at that time so um yeah you know but um the whole thing was Clemson really kept uh, a relationship uh yeah. the guy who recruited me Miles Aldridge just really talked to me almost every day he talked to me uh like I was a five-star <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I ended up taking my visit at Clemson and it was pretty much over it after that I mean it was a great atmosphere uh, I felt like that was a culture that I could thrive in and it worked out for me. Really did. Yeah, it definitely definitely did that. I can't believe there was only two big teams. That, you know, there's a lot of a lot of schools should be kicking themselves for uh, not recruiting you any more than they did. That's crazy. But like you said, it's a different it's a different culture now. Uh, you played yeah. you played for Danny Ford your first two years, and then Ken Hatfield the last two. What was the big difference in playing for Danny Ford between and Ken Hatfield? Well, you know, I think. Uh, the biggest difference was Danny Ford had um, really um, cemented himself with the Clemson fans. I mean, it was already a culture there with Danny. And, right. um, 
Danny had a way of doing things. Danny could relate to uh, all players. And, I mean, he already had a reputation. He already won a national championship. So, you know, um, his players really respected him. And uh, I can see why. He was a, he was a, a heck of a guy. I, as far as Ken Hatfield's concerned, I thought Ken was a really good man. I really did. I thought he, I thought he came into a situation that was um, tough. You know, replacing a legend that Danny Ford was. It was that was a tough deal, and I, I think it took some adjustments. And you know, um, we still were real successful with um, with Ken. I mean, we actually won the ACC championship with him, but. Danny was such a big part of that culture that it was uh, it was it was a little tough for Ken, I think, to really submit his his kind of his system into it. You know, everybody was so used to Danny Ford that it was just it was pretty tough, and I I felt kind of bad for him in a lot of ways. But you know, we were pretty successful um, um, either way. You know, yeah, I, I like both guys, and I yeah, I like both guys. I, I thought they were both good. Um, but Danny had really, you know, he became a legend there, and it was just going to be really tough to replace him. Oh yeah, anytime you replace a legend, that's that's kind of hard. It's kind of like, kind of like your other coach, Bill Cowher, stepping in for Chuck Noll. That was a tough situation, but he made the best of it. Was, you know, that was that was a tough situation, I would imagine. But I think he just kind of embraced it. You know, I think he, he came in there, he did it his way, and. Uh, you know, I think he was refreshing. To be honest with you, uh, he was a guy who was a young, uh, a young coach, and he could relate to the players pretty well. He played in the NFL himself, so it was cool. And especially for me, uh, I was a part of his first class, yep. and to have a coach that was still, you know, excited about the game, you know, be the first one to high five you or hug you, that was pretty cool. And see that that that's what I've always said. There was two coaches I wish I could have played for, and I mean I'm not. I played football in high school, but I had no no. <laughs> if you see me, I had no dreams of playing at the next level. I was just doing it because I loved football. But Bill Cowell was one of them I would love to play for because he just looked like that was one of the guys that you could just you would just go do anything you had to to win a game for. Him. Yeah, he was a. He, I thought Bill was a great motivator. Uh, I thought Bill. Uh, had the pulse of the team. And, you know, we started off, um, they didn't know how good we were going to be. I mean, we, oh, came, yeah. we came that first year. We had, a, we had a lot of success that first year. I, I didn't play as much. I played a lot more. I played special teams. And then we just kept building and building and uh, finally got to that Super Bowl. And, you know, we played well enough. But um, should have won, I think. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, two you know, turnovers are killers, man. Yeah, you can't turn the ball over when you when you're playing against really good teams. It's just you just can't do it. So, um, but no, nah, Bill was. I thought Bill was awesome. I really. Yeah. Uh, what if you have one game that really stood out with you that you played at Clemson? What's the one game that you could go back and say, I wish you know you played so well and you had so much fun. You wish you could play it again. Uh, I'm going to tell you, most people would think that it was a Gator Bowl because I ended up winning the MVP. We had a really good game against uh, Major Harris at the time, who was West Virginia. runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. So, most people remember me from that game. But I'm going to say the game that was probably one of the, the best games I ever played. We played against North Carolina that same year. And I had uh, interception. I had two sacks. 
um, just really played an outstanding game. So that game was the game that I really cherished. I could never find it. I tried to find it again, but I could never find that game to watch. But it was a game that I just felt totally confident in what I did. I believed in what I saw, and it was an amazing game. Right. Well, okay, let's let's talk about the draft. The draft's coming up. All right, mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not saying you're. You're. I don't know if you were a Steeler fan before that. Where did you want to end up? Where, if you had your choice, where would you have ended up? No, honestly, I ended up exactly where I wanted to end up. I mean, where I actually ended up being, and that's with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I can tell you a few reasons why. I felt like you know doing the combines, doing all the interviews. That was the team that really wanted me too. Right. And it was just kind of a vibe, you know. I had an interview with all their, you know, scouting staff, the whole team. When I got interviewed, that was the team that really I know they really deep down wanted me. And when I had an interview one on one with Coach Collar, I wanted to play for Coach Collar, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of funny. It was kind of funny because I was a Dallas Cowboy fan when I was a kid. But I'm going to tell you what happened. Um, he basically suggested to me that, you know, uh, he didn't know that they were going to get me in the first round. But in the second round, it was a strong possibility. And that kind of stuck in my head. And um, I remember the draft. I was at my sister's house. And they did draft me in the first. So when the second, second round came, I felt like I, be- I definitely belonged. Um, in the second round. I wasn't so sure about the first round, but the second round, I really felt like I was going to go the second round. And when Pittsburgh came up, uh, when it was announced it was their time to pick, I went into the bathroom, man, and <laughs> I basically looked at the mirror and said, they're going to pick me, they're going to pick me, they're going to pick me. I did it three times. <laughs> I went to the kitchen table, slept by the phone. That's how confident I was. And sure enough, the phone rang. And it was Pittsburgh Steelers. So, uh, you know, a lot of people have this thing about the, you know, uh, the law of attraction. I think it works because, you know, as a kid, I told myself I was going to play pro football. And when I was getting drafted, I was like, they're going to pick me, they're going to pick me. <laughs> and they did. So um, that's how my draft story went. I mean, I, I was determined they were going to pick me. I put it in the atmosphere, and sure enough, they did. Well, that's, that, it was a perfect fit. By by all means, I mean from the time your second year you take over at middle linebacker, uh, that that draft class that year pretty much, you know, you and Darren Perry, that was really the building block to that defense. They had Greg Lloyd there. They bring Kevin Green in. And a couple years later, Chad Brown joins up, and that defense yeah. was set. I mean, y'all y'all were really set. Let I got to ask you this. I never I I haven't been to a Steelers game. I'm I'm down here in North Carolina. It's hard to get up there. But I wanted to get to high school. But what was it like playing at Three River Stadium? Uh, it, it was amazing. It really was. You could feel the history there. You know, with all the Super Bowl teams that they had. Um, we were, I, I felt like we were starting something new. We, we, I thought we built, I think we brought it back uh, you, to that stage where um, the, the fans were really confident in what we did. We we brought our own brand of ball. We we did something that was innovative as far as the fire zones. Um, right. You know, we were we were blitzing all over the place, but we were sound. It wasn't just blitzing and leaving people by themselves. You know, we were doing it with a zone concept, which was 
um, not brand new, but I think we had the personnel to really make it work to its full. And um, Don Capers, Bill Tower, uh, especially Coach LeBeau, yeah. really has, I mean, they, they had us coming from everywhere. We fit so well together. And probably the one person you forget to mention in that in that draft class we had is Joe Steve. And um, yeah, it was Joe Steve, myself, and Dan, and Dan Perry. Yeah. We yeah. pretty much um, uh, solidified the middle. And, you know, in most defenses, the middle is what counts. You know, if you can be really solid in the middle, uh, especially back in those days, you really had a chance to be successful. And, and that's what we were. And, and that was during that draft. And, you know, we also picked up Leon Searcy. But um, the one thing that I thought the Steelers did very well, more so than anybody else did, was the first three picks were solid picks. Right. You know, there were um, guys that, End up being like, uh, <clears throat> end up being starters. And I, I'm talking about after my class, uh, after Chad's class, uh, and then after, even after that class, uh, the first three picks end up being starters. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we, they did a great job of, uh, drafting good players, um, especially in the, the first three rounds. I mean, that's really kind of unheard of. Uh, nowadays that you get your first three-round picks end up being stars for three years in a row. And that's what we end up being. So, Yeah, you definitely you definitely had some beef up front. You had, you know, uh, Steve. You had uh, Ray Seals, Kevon Henry, uh, guys like that that, that, that kept you all clean. But, you know, <laughs> that draft class. And you, you talk about bringing it back to Pittsburgh. That year, like you said, not not a lot of people knew how it was going to be with a new coach, a young guy like Cowher. But I think after that, I can remember that Houston game. And I just, I don't know if you've watched it yet, that football life of Bill Cowher came on the NFL Network. I'm sure you probably have. But mm-hmm. when, when he said we're going to run a, a fake punt and y'all actually ran it down 14 to nothing and then end up beating Houston that day, I was kind of like, okay, we got something here. You know, it's, it's going to be a good year for the Steelers, and that was just the start of it. But, uh, okay. That was an incredible call. Yeah, I, I did. Was the, I was out there on the field at the time. I couldn't believe we were calling a fake punt. <laughs> but we had to turn the game around because they just kind of, I mean, they, they were up 14 nothing before we knew it. And um, we made that play and get that first down. And it was a lot of momentum. We took the momentum and we held on to it. And I think that kind of propelled us for the for the season. It really did. It um, it, it made a difference. And now guys are like, man, this guy is playing to win because most coaches are conservative. I mean, especially back then, they were conservative. They they were really afraid to lose, right? Afraid to mess it up. And I think he showed the players that he wasn't. Yeah, I think that after that play. Guys that were with Chuck Young kind of bought into um, Bill Collins. And we just kind of steamrolled after that. We got better the next year, the next year. So I think um, he did a good job of, you know, getting us to buy in. And really, that's what a head coach is supposed to do. I mean, you can have a guru that's an author. You know, there's not many gurus like um, Bill Belichick, you know. He's a one of a kind. But I think most good coaches are coaches that 
uh, can sell the team, you know, like to make the team buy into what they're selling. If you can't do that, then you really, you're going to lose a team. I don't care how talented you are. This, you know, if they don't believe in what you're doing, you won't have to say. That goes across the board. Um, any kind of organization, any kind of Fortune 500 company, if they don't believe in the product or believe in the leader, you're done. Yeah, that's exactly right. If, like you said, if, if they don't... You, you get a lot of guys, whether it's work or football, basketball, whatever, you get a lot of guys to play harder for you if they believe in you. If you got a, got a, some guys that don't believe in you, they're going to just go through the motions. But I, I've always believed that. That's, and that's well, probably what, what mm-hmm. got me uh, loving Kyler so much. Because, I, I mean, I, you could feel, even the fans could feel that. Oh, there's no question. Um, he had a... He had a way about him that he just, I mean, you'll run through a wall for him. You really would. I mean, I i really admired Bill Kyle, man. I, I wanted to please him. I wanted him to always be proud of me. And, uh, I mean, but he believed in me first. I mean, somebody believed me in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I mean, definitely. <laughs> somebody, yeah, somebody believed in, uh, you know, and plus I was switching positions. I, didn't, I never played inside backer until I got to Pittsburgh. Uh, so, you know, for them to see me in another light where most teams would probably put me out as the outside position, I might not have been as successful, you know. So going inside was for them to foresee that and to put me and plug me in uh, was a blessing. You know, I, I really, I thought I was the next Lawrence Taylor. To be <laughs> honest with you, when I was in college. I really did. I, I, I kind of thought I was going to be him and then, once I got, once I started playing on the inside, what it made me do was it made me, it brought me out a little bit. I had to be a little bit more demanding and be more of a captain, even though we had great leaders in Greg, Kevin, Rod, Lake, and those guys. He pushed me, <laughs> he pushed me to be um, in the in the head of that, that huddle making those calls. I never did signals. I never called. I never called the plays on the sideline. A lot of stuff that I never did. Uh, he kind of forced me to do it. And I remember when he gave me the starting job. He ne- he didn't tell me that he's going to give me the starting job. I just kind of, you know, we had a meeting one day, and the guy that I was playing behind, David Little, wasn't there, and he made the announcement that they let David go. And I remember everybody putting eyes on me, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, you know, Dave's been playing for like 12 years. You know, I'm a, uh, you know, second-round pick, and uh, they they just believed in me. They believed, I, I wasn't even quite sure, but they believed in me, and they, I mean, I remember him telling me, like, listen, you don't have to take over the huddle. And I'm like, man, these guys, I mean, <laughs> I got these established guys, and he's like, "Nah, you're gonna have to take over the huddle." And I remember embracing that and saying, "Okay, well, I just have to take over the huddle," and um, and it worked out. And definitely, definitely. I, I became a little, I became a little bit more than I thought. So it was uh, it was cool to see that somebody else um, believed in you a little bit more than sometimes you kind of you know. I felt like I was a, a going to be a good NFL player. Um, I didn't know exactly how that was going to really happen, but I, I had a vision that I would be, 
that, you know, he pushed me with a little further than I thought. And then also being on that Pittsburgh Steelers team, which a lot of people don't understand is that um, that was a man's defense. Like, you had to... You had to step up and you had to be accountable. Uh, that was the great thing about being on that defense is that they, Rob Wilson, those guys made you accountable being there. If, if you wasn't playing up to their standards, you couldn't be out there. And it wasn't a coach thing. It was more of a, if you, if you did not live up to the standards of our hardest workers, which was Greg Roy, Cornell Lake, Rob Wilson, uh, Kevin Green, then you were going to play. And it was kind of funny because we had a mixture of veterans and young players, and those were probably the four probably elder statesmen. Everybody else was a young guy, like mm-hmm. first-year starter uh, or second-year guy. So um, it, was, uh, it was amazing. It was a good mixture of veterans and young guys. And just worked really well, and then when we really got it going, it, it was amazing. And, yeah. I mean, we were blitzing from everywhere, and we and our, our linebacker core. I just say we probably had a touchdown. I mean, we win the Super Bowl. We're probably, you know, you, you're probably looking at maybe Greg and myself probably in the conversation of being in the Hall of Fame. You know, so uh, that's that's how good our defense was. Definitely, and it. it now, one thing about you guys, uh, and we'll talk, uh, we'll talk about the 94 season. That's when you guys really started. I mean, that's when everybody said Pittsburgh's a contender. But the year starts off, and you guys lose Rod Woodson the first game, possibly for the year. I remember going like, oh, man, right where we're getting, right where we need to be, and Rod Woodson goes down. But then, this is mm-hmm. something about you. what you guys always did when there was an injury. Somebody else stepped up. I mean, it, like Carnell Lake goes from playing safety to playing cornerback and then gets to the Pro Bowl as a cornerback. And y'all have just, you know, y'all have finished 12-4 and four when a lot of people thought, well, you know, Woodson's out. It, it, it's not going to be the best year. It probably won't be a 12-4 and four year, but you guys just made it work. No, honestly, we <laughs> we started three and four that year. I think most of them. That was that was the year that. before. Ninety four was the year you went to the AFC Championship game, lost to the Chargers. Yeah, ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah, I got my years year. mixed up. I got me y'all. Y'all were. Oh, okay. That's it. That's right. The Chargers. The ninety five years when y'all lost Woodson. Yeah, yeah. We, we you know, we just. I, I think our best, probably our best team. We were, we, you know, we weren't injured. I mean, we were. I'm telling you, we were, um, I think everybody on defense had a sack that year. Oh, yeah. We were um, definitely incredible. And then the next year, you know, Rod gets hurt. I think Neil O'Donnell was hurt. So we started off like three and I four. Think. We started off like three and four. And we lose a sense. And the low point was we lost to Cincinnati. 27 and nine. Yeah, I remember, the, well, I think we had like some time off. Coach Kyle told us, like, hey, go take the weekend off. When we come back, let's get ready to work. And I remember uh, we having a team meeting that day. And uh, he was, he basically said, okay, forget about the first seven games we play. They don't, they don't exist. He said, we start right now. 
we're all enough. This is our first game. And we played Jacksonville. Uh, somewhere like, yeah, maybe Jacksonville. And we win that game. So he's basically saying, we're one and oh. One and oh, start. And basically, and that's kind of how we did it. We kind of started that season like one and oh. That second half of the season, one and oh, two and oh. And I think we went, we won, we won like eight three games. Eight three, I mean, it was an incredible run for us. We go to Chicago, we beat those guys. Chicago's pretty good at the time. And we just go on an incredible, incredible run. And for me personally as a player, that's when I got the, that was a turning point for me too. Because at that time, I wasn't playing quite the way I wanted to. And the reason why was I was being a little selfish. And I want, but I wanted to be a great player, but it was like, I kept, I, I was overthinking it. And I remember when we said, like, hey, we're going to be on one. And the, the problem was, you know, the other three linebackers were getting a little, I thought was getting a little bit more attention than I was. And I remember just telling myself, like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going out there and play the win. <laughs> and, and that changed my career. And that changed my career because I started playing better and better and better. And um, I don't know if you know Matt Millen. But oh, Matt yeah. Millen was a, Matt Millen was, you know, he won like five Super Bowls or whatever. But he was reporting at the time. And I remember uh, having my first aha moment. And, I, you know, I, I was a pretty good player at the time. And I was playing really well in the stretch, had an like interception um, in the, uh, you know, divisional game against Jim Kelly. Right. Was playing a whole lot better. But the guy that put me over the top was Matt Miller. Um, this guy named Al Boyd Mays that was on our team that played him. the rest in. When he, yeah, so Al Boyd came to me before the year, I'll never forget. But I remember Matt Miller telling me, man, I think he's a dark horse. I think he's a dark horse on the team. I was like, oh, okay, you know, thanks, I appreciate that. But he, he relayed a message from Matt Miller. And he told me right before the Super Bowl, he was like, he's like, man, Kirk, um, he said, Matt Miller says you're a superstar. But he's like, the only thing is, you're not quite trusting what you're seeing. He said, trust, he, Matt told me to tell you to trust your eyes. And for some reason, that clicked. I was like, yeah, okay. I'm going to start trusting exactly what I see. And that, that, and that game, he, although we lost that game, that's what tell me because I um, had a really good game against uh, Dallas. Yeah, you did. And I just, I just started believing what I saw. And it worked. It really did. It gave, I, I think it was just having confidence in your ability. I think at the time I wasn't quite, I had the ability, I wasn't quite having confidence in the ability. And he just told me, man, shut your eyes. Trust what you see. And that can only come from a guy who's been in the trenches, who's been where you've been. And, you know, uh, I, talked, I talked to Matt a couple of years after that, man. I, I, I thank him for really uh, elevate my game. That, that's, that's pretty awesome. There. Now, I, I, I never looked, you know, of course, Green, Kevin Green and Lloyd got all the publicity that year, but you and Brown were yeah. just as important 
to me. I mean, you look at your size. I mean, how how much were how much would you weigh when you were at in like ninety five? Was it two sixty four, two sixty five? About two sixty five, and I was uh, man, you know, I. <laughs> and you were covering. So you were covering. You were one of the coverage linebackers. Yeah, you know what it was. It was like um, I was that size, but I didn't feel that size. <laughs> and and people always made mention about my size, but um, you know, I I knew I could cover. I knew I could. I knew I could do it all. I, and I, I thought I was, you know, and I thought that like, man, you know, uh, I thought from seeing myself as an important part of the team. I I saw myself like, hey. You may not, and that's why I got to the point. Like, hey, man, we don't care about the listeners because I know I knew exactly what I missed for the team. I knew that we can do things because I was in the middle, and I just started embracing. It. I just stopped, like, I stopped caring about uh, publicity and all that stuff, and I just started simply playing. And it was a good attitude. It was a good mindset for me yeah. to kind of change that mindset and say, okay. This is what I'm gonna be, and I don't really, and I really honestly didn't care. And even in coaching, when I started coaching, I, you know, I, I told Marcus Goldman the same thing. He's like, as long as you play to win, you're gonna get your, you're gonna get your place, you know. And I would tell any player that play to win. If you play to win, that means your your purpose is bigger than yourself. Definitely. And I think a lot of times we may get in the get in the way when we are thinking totally about ourselves instead of thinking about uh, the people you can help, winning your team. Once you start thinking about your teammates and the most important thing is getting out there with a W, your stats and everything's going to come. You don't play well. Well, I, I just, I think, and I, I think it was like a 90, maybe it was 97 season, and I, it was a home Sunday night home game against Baltimore, and I think y'all won. Like y'all shut them out. But one of the players right. I, I seem to remember is you going into coverage against a running back and getting the interception. And ta- you know, I don't think you you didn't score, but uh, I just remember like, oh, wow, you look at that guy. That guy's had a covering a running back and makes the interception. Uh, it was just you know that that right there. Yeah. The the key play for me though in your career, and the play that I said with that you know I always liked you. I I mean there wasn't a Steeler I didn't really like, but the Super Bowl when we had all the momentum after that surprise onside, Dallas mm-hmm. gets the ball back after we scored a touchdown. We've got momentum, and then you go over top, you jump over top of Emmett Smith, you blitz, go over top of Emmett Smith, and hit Troy Aikman and knock him back for a sack. That right there. I came off the couch on that one. That one was, that one was oh, like your thank you, the yeah. play I always remember about Levon Kirkland. Oh well, thank you. I, I tell you what, man. I, I tell a lot of people. Um, uh, <laughs> the funny part was there was a play, two plays before that, and you know I could have pushed a little bit, and I could have got that interception through the Williams. He got some yards, so I was like, okay. That's okay. We're 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 gonna make a big play. I just told myself you're gonna make a big play. Don't work. And they called cold zebras on wide, which meant the strong side is gonna blitz. Uh, we're gonna overload one side, 
and that play, it was right there. Emmett saw it at the last second, and he kind of dove at my legs. Uh-huh. And I saw him dive, and I'm like, okay, let me go over the top. And I went over the top, and I just kind of brushed Troy. But I thought, but I was like, boy, if Emmett doesn't get me a little bit, I, I absolutely just saw Troy and I sure he's got the ball. But it was a really good play. It was more of a, you know, it was just one of those plays that was more instinctive than anything. You just, um, you've done it so many times, and, um, I thought, I was like, man, was, it was a really good play. It was probably one of my best plays. Yeah, well, let's go back a little bit. 94 season, y'all in the AFC Championship game at Three Rivers against San Diego. Of course, it comes down to the last play, fourth and one, ball fouls incomplete. And, you know, it's just a shocker there. I know that feeling. Then the next year, you come back, the AFC Championship game at Three Rivers comes down to the last play. That Hail Mary... That Harbaugh throws. What are you thinking on the sidelines? Are you even able to watch it? <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> I don't know if it I. I don't know if I even watched it. <laughs> it took forever for that ball to hit the ground. Even I even like you didn't catch it. You know because we're in that situation. Yeah. And you're like okay, we just just got we gotta go. There's no way. But when he throws it. You're right. You have a little doubt, you know, and then how it went, and I'm telling you, man, Randy Fuller makes a hell of a play. Yes, he does. He doesn't make that play, then we may lose that game. And it's like when the referee, you know, the guys on our team were doing that, but the referee fought. He was in great position to see it. And Thank God he was right was there. Uh, he he, he, he kind of flipped his body a little bit. He got right in position when he could see it. He saw his, uh, we were like, oh, wow, we finally did it after, you know, I, I remember going to Kansas City, we losing that game. I remember losing to San Diego. I remember it's just everything just kind of came together. We finally did it. We finally did it. And, uh, you know, I really thought that we were going to win the Super Bowl. I really, I really thought that we were a team of destiny, you know, from starting off three and four to, Dialing ourselves back to the AFC Championship game, uh, you know that game was a that game was a thriller. It really was. It was. To win it in the fashion we won, man, it was uh, tremendous. Well, I, I got to ask this, and you can answer this however you want to. After the Super Bowl, <laughs> did 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 O'Donnell have to stay in a another room away from y'all, or, or did he? <laughs> Because uh, if I'd have been around him, I don't know what I would have done to him. I mean, you can answer that any way you want to. You don't have to answer it, but I just have uh, to ask. Yeah, I don't even know. I, I think that, um, you know, we under, like, sometimes you're professional. Yeah, you, know, you um, have to be. You have to be professional. You can't be, you know, you can't be a fan uh, at that time. And even though, Upset. I mean, there's some things that we could have done better that probably we could have won the game. I, I mean, those two, those two turns probably did decide the game, to be honest with you, because that's 14 points. That's, that's, that's the, the difference in the game there. How, yeah, because how we, you know, because we start off sluggish, you know, we were inexperienced, you know, probably a little nervous at the time. And, you know, they, they went up almost 10 nothing, but we settled down. And they couldn't really do anything. They really couldn't. I mean, we, 
we got to the point where we shut Emma Smith down. Exactly. They couldn't do anything on offense. And you take away those two turnovers, we win that game. We won that game. Yeah, and I mean, and, um, I, mean I could handle it. Right? I could handle it if it was somewhere, you know, somebody close by. But it just looked like there was no Pittsburgh Steeler around when he threw it, especially the first one. I think I, I think he lost it one time. I think he just he just he just slipped. That last one though, um, I, I don't know if you remember a guy named Corey Holiday. I do. Can't play to Carolina. And, yeah, and Corey was like, man, I was wide open. Man. He, he was just like Neil just kind of like just sometimes when you like I, I love Neil. And Neil got us there. Yeah, but, definitely. But, you know, in a lot of ways, Neil was just kind of a, you know, Neil was, I'm a team member direction, I'm a front, where he's supposed to be. But sometimes it's so important. And I think Bill realized that you just couldn't win on tough defense running the ball. You needed a trigger guy. And, I mean, you need a trigger guy who can make a difference. Um, and that's one of the most important things and quarterback is uh, as you got to have a quarterback who can go beyond a play. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The play that's called a quarterback that can say, "I'm going. I'm trusting myself. That's not happening. Let me throw it somewhere else." And sometimes you get guys who are progression guys who are going to do what they're told to do, and then you'll get some guys who are like. Hey man, I see this, and I'm gonna throw it here. And um, you know, I think if Neil was that guy, he might have would have made that adjustment on it. You know, but um, you know, I think Bill kind of. I think that's when Bill. I think he realized that you need a great quarterback, and if you're gonna go to the ultimate game, you need you need a great quarterback, and you can see it in college right now. You yeah. can see the evolution of college where. Uh, I just don't think these, uh, you know, I'm not saying a running quarterback can't get you there, but against a very good team, you need a quarterback who can throw the ball down the field. And you're seeing the evolution of college football where it's just not the guy who can just run. You need the guy who can throw. Because you can always stack the box against the run game. Well, that's what they did to Cordell. Right. I mean, yeah. cool. Cordell could throw the ball, but he just—it just seemed like at times he didn't have a whole lot of confidence with it. But you know, he could throw the ball, but Cordell was running the ball so much that that's that's what. Until when we got better from there, that was it was a little bit better. But you know, that's that's what they tried to do, to Cordell. But you know that Cordell though, Cordell was, I think, one of the best athletes I ever saw. No doubt, no I doubt. Think, I think honestly, if he chose to. He could have been a Hall of Fame wide receiver, and that is absolutely no joke because we used to play against him in practice, and we had a really good defense, and we could not stop that kid. <laughs> we could not stop him. He would dominate us. I mean, he really would. Um, I think in quarterback, though, if Chan Daly would have stayed with Cordell, if he would have stayed, Cordell would have been a really good quarterback. But when you try, and, and we did things that cater to what Cordell could do. I think back in the old days, those offensive coordinators are, you know, some of them are stuck in their little systems. Right. And they're like, well, we want you to do this instead of saying, like, hey, what can this kid do? And what can we do to help them out? 
you know, uh, at the time, Cordell wasn't a, okay, I'm going to drop back and throw to the right receiver. He just wasn't that guy. He could zip it now. He could, he had the arm stuff. He could throw it, but you needed to develop him a little bit more. And um, I thought that he got short, short change. You know, looking back on it now and being a little bit more mature person than I am, that, you know, some quarterbacks, they take a little development. Some players take development, but at this day and time, we just don't, you don't, a lot of times teams don't have or take the time and say, okay, let's help this kid along the line. So, I mean, because, I mean, I was that guy too. I mean, where, you know, I didn't know the instincts of an inside backer. Right. But the Steelers were confident enough to say, like, hey, we should let him, you know, he can sit, he can sit and play special teams for a year, get accustomed to playing the position, and you know the next year he'll be serviceable, he'll get better as it goes, and and that's really what happened to me, and that's because the Steelers took time enough to develop players, and I think a lot of times that's what's missing. Guys to be good, but they go to teams that are you know want things to happen right now. And they don't take time to develop guys. And that's what happened to Cordell. I yeah. think Cordell, I mean, first of all, I think Cordell was, I mean, that guy was, he was athlete before athlete. I mean, <laughs> that dude, he was, right. the, he was Michael Vick before Michael Vick. Yep. Well, so, uh, you've got to have a smart coach to say, like, okay, and, and Bill was smart enough to say, you know what, this dude needs to play. Because he wasn't playing that one time. And Bill was like, why are we sitting as one of our best athletes on the bench? This guy can help us out. And, you know, they just started putting them, they just started experimenting with him. Just started putting them everywhere. That's why they started calling him Slash, because we would put him in whatever position to help us win. And I'm telling you, that's when the five receivers, we started doing five receivers at the time. Yep. Before anybody was doing, you know, Five receivers. We were doing five receivers because we had this, this kid that was an incredible athlete, and he could do anything you wanted him to do. And and that was definitely a big shock for Steeler fans that were used to smash my football. When you come out with five receivers, the Steelers, and we were like, I mean, people were like, hold up, wait a minute, what's going on here? But I think when they really started, yeah. when y'all really started using them, was that Monday night football game against the Browns down there around the goal line when yes, he scrambled, sir. he scrambled back and forth and got the touchdown. I mean, <laughs> whenever you saw O'Donnell White that split out, you knew something was getting ready to happen. Well, you know, he's, it's funny because funny he went to the right, he scrambled back to the left, 30 mils came open, he throws it, touchdown. I think he did something else in that game, too. And I think it's just kind of like, hey, man, we got something here. Yeah. And yeah. then we go to Cincinnati, and we're losing. I mean, Cincinnati guys up by, I mean, they're beating us pretty bad in that game. Cordell comes to, I mean, they, we start putting Cordell in the game. And we just had a tremendous comeback, and you're like, okay, we got a team that can really, um, really do some good things. And that kid became explosive at the time. So, uh, you, you know, you got to give it to Bill for being or uh, somebody, whoever it was, for being smart enough to say, like, man, we need to use this kid. <laughs> we need to put him out there and see what he can do. And that's what we did, and that was the cool thing about, like I said, 
cool thing about uh, Coach Kyle was he kind of understood. He kind of had a talk of a player, mm-hmm. and he was he was truly a player's coach. I mean, like he was on our side, um, you know, most of the time. So it was kind of cool. It really was. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes you need change and you need uh, a fresh perspective. And the Steelers tend to work in, you know, they, they have a process that they do that works. And that's why they've been, you know, that's why they've been really uh, one of the top tier teams in the NFL for, uh, I mean, over 20 some years. Right. You know, they've been a, a team that can, you know, organization that um, they know their formula, they know who they want, uh, they know who fits in. And I think about how our defense was put together it was perfect because each one of us could do something. And we're really good at doing it. And a lot of times teams don't base their personnel that way. They're just kind of, I wonder sometimes they're just bringing in guys. But sometimes you got to bring, to make a team really work, you got to bring in the right guys. You got to bring in the right, the right chemistry. I mean, when Kelly came in, we had a guy named Gerald Williams. And Gerald Williams, I thought was, I thought he was physically more talented than Kevin was. But Kevin brought something to the table that Gerald could. Kevin was a heck of a rusher. Uh, he was a good leader. He was a little older. So he brought some experience and some savvy and some know-how. Uh, and Kevin was really tremendous as far as my career was concerned. You know, Kevin was one of the first ones to tell me, like, man, you got it all. Yeah. Uh, you can do whatever you want to on the field. And, um, but, you know, if we don't bring in a Kevin Green, uh, you know, our culture may be different, you know. Uh, we had Greg, and Greg was the intense guy. Uh, both were intense, but, you know, Greg was the alpha alpha, you know. And then you bring in two young guys like me and Chad, who were, um, just, you know, we both played outside in college. But what they understood was, hey, let's bring in better athletes and put them on the inside. And, okay, they'll go through their, you know, trial and error, but these young guys want to be good. They, you know, want to be great. And we, me and Chad really helped each other out. Yeah. Y'all had a good rapport uh, with each other. We really worked well together. The thing was, we were different. Like, most times, you know, um, you know, Maybe the backers are kind of similar, but we were so different in what we both could do. And, you know, um, uh, Chad, Chad could just make plays. He knew how to blitz. He was hard to block, uh, especially coming on the blitz. And I understood that. I understood that Chad was going to make a whole lot more plays. And I understood my role, too. I understood I was a big guy, uh, that I can do it all, basically. And I would have to do some of the dirty work. And I didn't mind doing the dirty work. Right. And I didn't mind going in there, taking on linemen, taking on, I mean, I took on so many leads. But the funny thing was, people stopped running the lead. They, you know, that was a, a stable at one time, the lead play, running at the linebacker. But I think I'm not that play out of the park. <laughs> park. <laughs> and people started saying, like, you know what, we cannot run the isolation on here. So, um, yeah, so we brought, I think we brought different 
aspects to the game. Well, we we were just we were talking before we started this interview. I was telling you I was watching the the Colts '96 playoff game at Three Rivers, right. and there was a play, well, one play where you just absolutely stuffed Marshall Falk, and then a, right. a few possessions later. There was a blitz up the middle. You cut him off. He would try to go to the outside, and and Chad Brown was right there. That I mean, you look at all these defensive guys you play with. You, it's it's hard to believe. I mean, Greg Lloyd, Rod Woodson, Kevin Green, Chad Brown, Cornell Lake, Darren Perry, Jerry Osowski, Jason Gildon. I mean, just to name a few. You <laughs> that those defenses back then. I mean, everybody talks about the steel curtain from the seventies, and with good reason. But you guys were stacked. I mean. You guys, uh, we were we were quite dangerous back in the day, and, I, and that's why I say, I mean, if we if we win that Super Bowl, people would talk to talk about us in a probably a little bit higher light. They would uh, really recognize how great we were, and we were stacked. We were tremendous. We we really didn't have a weakness on that defense, and uh, at one point in time, we were number one in almost every category. Right. Are very close to it. So uh, we had a defense, you know, that probably won't be regarded as highly as, you know, um, the, the 2000s um, and the 70s, but I thought we hold a all. I thought we had just a, a great cast of players. I mean, just we were really stacked at those positions. So, um, you know, in that Indianapolis game, I mean, uh, you know, we were down. I mean, like, we... We didn't have Greg that year. Chad had to move to the outside. Yeah, he did a great job. we still job. had a real stellar year. Yeah. yeah, we still, and, and I, that was Chad's natural position, really. I mean, and the thing is, we don't keep him the next year. That's, I think that's, we keep Chad Brown, man, we would be, I know. Was, it, it would have been incredible. That, that move right there broke my heart. I hated it because I was like, I gosh, know. you know, Chad was one of my favorite Steelers. I, I've always been more of a defensive guy. You know, Puggle Miller is one of my favorites. Uh, but you know that right there broke my heart when he he left and went to Seattle. I think that was wasn't that where he went? Yeah, uh, gosh. So we, I mean, if you think about it, we both went to the Pro Bowl our first years together, yeah. and that's when he moved. And you think about it, we had Jason Gilden on the other side. Yeah. So can you imagine Jason Gilden and Chad Brown? If we would have stayed for like if Chad would have stayed for like two or three years, I, I mean, we would have still been dominating. And then. We had Earl Holmes come in. I remember Earl Holmes. Linebacker, our linebacker, our linebacker core is, you know, just as good. Because so Jason Gilbert is probably the most underrated linebacker in Steelers history. Jason Gilbert made a lot of big – people don't realize, you know, I watch, I've watched a lot of Steelers games, but Jason Gilbert has made a lot of big plays for the Steelers over the years. Oh, no question. Jason Gilbert, I dare say, was better, was more versatile being Kevin Green and Greg Moore. He was yeah. a he was a combination of those two. Well Greg And he was there. Now Greg was you know, Greg was that intense guy like you said earlier and he could bull rush, but Ke- like you said, Gildon could do a little bit of both. He could speed rush you, he could bull rush you. Oh, uh, he could speed rush, he could bull rush you. Um, he had a nice little rip outside and he knew how to get to the quarterback. And he was really good against the run and against tight ends. Yeah. And a lot of times he would be over the tight end. Jason Gilden was a jacked up dude. Jason could play, man. That guy could really play. And, and imagine we would have Chad Brown outside. 
Chad Brown was hard to block. Like I tell people, Chad Brown was difficult to block. Yeah, he was difficult to block. That that Colts playoff uh, game, he he had already got he's already got the hub over in the in the first half like three times. So <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I mean he had a. I, I think Chad Brown. Chad Brown had five sacks in one game. Yeah, five. So I mean it was like this dude is talented, and you know, and it was had we had to use him. He was a great inside backer. And he moved him outside, and he just once he once he understood what to do, uh, man, he, you could not stop him coming off that head. So we let him go a little. That was like I was a little pissed on that. One. I bet you were. I, knew, I bet you were. I, I knew like with Chad, I knew that we could be so good with Chad, and we had Jason on the outside. So our defense was going to be just as good. It was going to be just as good. I mean, we would have had to groom early a little bit more. But, you know, with myself, Jason, and Chad, and we had, you know, we still had Joe Steve. We still had Briston Bartman. And Keenan Henry was a really good player, too. Yeah, he was. So we, we had a front seven that was going to be really nice. Okay. Uh, we, still, we still had Rod. We still had Lake. We still have and Willie Williams. Willie Williams, that, that was an underrated guy there too. Oh yeah, Willie Williams was a he was a little piece man. Willie, he was a tough guy for real. Willie Williams saved that AFC Championship game in '95 against Colts with that no, that play no he coming off the edge to stop. Uh, I think it was Warren. <laughs> stop Warren on that third uh, down we, play. We were sealed too, and I was like, oh no! Like <laughs> it was a blitz on that side, and I don't know why. I don't know where Willie came from. He just kind of like bricked. He did. And I was like, thank God, because they had the seal. I was like, oh, no. And I saw <laughs> Willie. I'm like, thank you, Willie Williams. <laughs> he saved us. That guy was gone out the gate because I was sealed. The, the end was sealed. We were all sealed. I was like, oh, no. And Willie came. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, that, that that saved that game right there. That's, that's one of the plays I remember from that game. But, um, uh, Move on a little bit. I got a few more questions. And I'll let you go. I appreciate you taking all this time. You lose Bam Morris after the Super Bowl, but then during the draft, and you talk about how Pittsburgh knew the right players for their system. During the draft, you know, you trade a draft pick to the Rams and get your own Bettis. What I mean, what kind of teammate was best? What was it? What did What did y'all think when y'all heard Jerome Bettis had come to Pittsburgh? <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. I couldn't believe it. I was like, we got Jerome Bettis <laughs> for a fourth round pick. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, I could not believe we got Jerome Bettis. I was because we played against Jerome when he was with the, with the Rams. Rams. He he ran and, all over you that year um, too. He ran all over us that day, <laughs> and it was like it was awakening because honestly, you don't think he's that quick. But he's so quick and elusive. And he like, gee whiz, I hate to play against this guy. And we also got the fullback, Tim Lester. Yep. The bus yep. driver. And Tim Lester was a load. I mean, Tim Lester was a straight-up cheek. And what I mean, he was hard-nosed. He wasn't backing down from nobody. And we got Jerome Bettis. And I was like, we got Jerome Bettis for a fourth-round pick? That was crazy. It was um, It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe like, sometimes people in the front office don't always know what they're doing. <laughs> definitely. That Rams front office definitely didn't know what they were doing on that one. 
I was like, and we were, and he fit us so well. We were a running team, yep. we were a physical downhill team. Um, and I was like, I can't believe we got it. Yeah. And Jerome was a great teammate. Jerome was a great teammate. Jerome was, uh, he was funny, first and foremost. He was competitive yeah. as all get out. And this dude, although he looked like a certain type, this dude had moved. This dude had moved. He had quickness that was just—it um, was unbelievable. But I have to tell you a quick story about him. Me and him would never go against each other. <laughs> we would never go against like if it was one-on-ones or anything like that. We would never go against each other. Why? Why and where we? Knew, because we kind of knew how good both of us was, <laughs> and we we basically—I'm telling you—we agreed. We basically got together like, man, there's no reason for us to go against each other. And he was like, you're right. We're not. So anytime, we would never go against each other. Wow. I, I we would it. never. Because we, I, I think we just kind of knew that, man, he's, you know, like you meet that guy. who's like, man, he's good. Man, he's good. I mean, like in practice, why, why, why would you go through that? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, why that's would true. you? Yeah, like, why am I going against the wrong guy? I can. We never win against each other. I can just remember that feeling when they announced it on ESPN, because my brother was a big Notre Dame fan then, and I so I watched a lot of Notre Dame and and watched especially that Sugar Bowl game against Florida where he just went off. I was like, Dad, gum, this oh, guy's yeah. this guy's pretty for as big as he is. Look how quick he was. And then when they they said Steelers have acquired Jerome Bettis for a fourth round pick, I was like. Well, I think all our problems are solved right now as far as losing Bam Morse. I mean, but, gosh, uh, he couldn't have fit any if, better if than Pittsburgh. I was like, man, if we would have had your home better to the Super Bowl, we would have won it. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. We would have won it hands down. It was a, we probably would have ran the ball more. We would have won that game hands down. But, yeah, I, it, was a, it was a shock, but I was happy. I was oh, like, yeah, definitely. I was like, I can't believe we got your own better. I just really could not, like, because I played against the guy a few years ago, and I just like, I, I can't believe we got this guy. Okay. So, uh, it was amazing, yeah. One of the things you remember about Bettis, and, you know, but I, I want to get, this is kind of a, Kind of a thing like Neil O'Donnell after the Super Bowl, I, 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 but I wanted to hear your thoughts. That 1998 Thanksgiving game against the Lions, when you're going into overtime, the, the coin right. toss, after that referee totally botched the coin toss, what was, your, what was the feeling on the sideline? Like, were y'all ready to go after that referee? <laughs> uh, yeah, because, you know, like back then, it was so important to get that ball first. Yeah, you didn't have the rules because, like today. Yeah, because... I mean, the only thing you had to do was get, get a field goal range. Yep. And it, it, for some reason, it was also a motor, like, it was a big momentum thing, too. It definitely it was. It really was. It's like, so, like, whoever got the ball first, basically, I I would dare go back and look at it, and I almost guarantee whoever got the ball first probably won most of those overtime games because it was such a big deal to get the ball. So, yeah. I'm thinking, like, probably if I look back on it, probably teams who got the ball first won those overtime Most games. of the time that was the case. I, I'd, I'd have to yeah. look back at the I don't know for sure. I don't know if it's sure, but I almost think that that probably was the case because it was such a big deal to get the ball first. 
Everybody's like, you were like, yeah, we got the ball first. So, um, yeah, man, that, that, he, he totally blew it. He totally blew it. You know, like, sometimes, um, sometimes you have to slow down, uh, in order to do it right and to do it fast. Sometimes when you do things fast, you kind of overlook some steps or whatever. Yep. I think he was just trying to, you know, I think he was just trying to get get the game started or something. I don't because know what he was really, doing. are normally pretty smart people. They don't really, they don't really just totally kill it like he did. I mean, I was like. The bad thing was what? everybody at home could hear it. I mean, I I, I, I yeah. couldn't figure out why he couldn't hear it. That's what I was saying. I said, "Well, he called." And you know, no, that ain't right. I heard him call it, but yeah, you know, that's I, the way it goes. I was like, kind of confused because I'm like, "What?" Because I was on the sideline, and as a matter of fact, I was like, one of the captains on the team. I didn't go out. You know, I just let Jerome and Cardell go out, and I could not believe. I'm like, "Okay, what happened?" And then defensively. <laughs> They basically just got in the field goal range and keep the field goal. Yeah. So, all right. So, I'm glad the rule was changed. Though. Yeah, that definitely. Definitely. Because that, I, I'm going to be flip pretty upset after that game. All right. right. The rivalry now, and it's kind of flip-flops back and forth. The Steelers and the Bengals have had, of course, bad blood over the years, especially here recently. Steelers and Ravens were the big rivalry. Was that – do you feel like it was as intense back then – with the, with the Ravens slash Browns as it was, as it has been here lately, when you were playing, uh, it's probably not as intense. Because they weren't we as were, good was, as they were. It was it was Cleveland when I was yeah. when, I, when I first yeah, couple of years, my first five years, and that was a that was a rival. I remember we playing them three times in a row, and you know, like sometimes you have superstitions like. Well, three is a charm. Mm-hmm. Not really, because we beat those guys three years in a row. And I remember one guy like, "If we beat them twice, what makes you think we won't beat them three times?" Yeah, <laughs> and that's when I kind of got rid of the superstitions of, you know, three is a charm. You can't beat a team three times, and uh, we beat them three times. And uh, I was like, "Wow, that's just a superstition." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty It was pretty bad then, but then they went to, you know, they went to Baltimore, and it wasn't really a rivalry until the year they won the Super Bowl, and we beat them that year. We were I remember that. Beat them that year. It was a seven, I think it was like seven to six or something it like that. It was a low and was the begin- And that was the beginning of that war right yeah. there. Okay. Yeah, but most people, most people don't realize is. That was a game that really started the Baltimore Pittsburgh robbery. And that game, although it was seven to six, it was a blood bath. I mean, like it was like it was grimy <laughs> that game. And you know, like I, I, that's why I really like the era that I played in because it, it wasn't so much um, so loaded offensively. It wasn't so much you know. We're going to blatantly uh, cater the rules to the offense. It was kind of like even Steven a little bit. You know, defense, you can be intimidated. You know, you can hit guys, you know, a little bit after the whistle and let them know, oh, it's going to be all day. So I like that because I think defense mattered back then. It, it, it matters now, but not as much as it mattered back then. Right. Okay, what, what was it like playing for the Rooney's? 
Uh, everybody always talks about what a class act they are. Uh, and uh, what was your thoughts on the Rooney family? Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, just what you said. I mean, it was just a class act. Uh, uh, that was a team that just, you know, uh, you just, Mr. Rooney just kind of walked with a quiet confidence. Right. And that says a lot about a man when he didn't, you know, he doesn't have to be flashy, which I have no problems with that. But uh, Mr. Williams, to me, just had a quiet confidence about himself. Uh, he, he walked around the locker room. Uh, he knew the players. Uh, he, he, he was a male, but he wasn't over the top, which uh, I think, you know, if, you, if you're the owner of the team, you can do whatever. But I thought that he kind of, you know, the coach's coach, he, um, and if you look at the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they've only really had three significant coaches. Yeah, that's true. And that's a testimony that they kind of, they have a process, and they're going to they're gonna work that process. Whoever the coach is, they totally believe in it, and it's not a knee-jerk reaction to it. And... Um, they want you. I mean, you want to play for that team. It's a good atmosphere. I think sometimes having a great atmosphere is very important. Having a great culture on a, fo- in a football program where you talk about college or you talk about NFL is super important. Oh, Being able to go to your workplace and feel comfortable and feel wanted and feel like you're a part of a successful organization. No doubt. And he exuded that. He exuded that confidence. And I think that confidence triggered down to the coaching staff and it also triggered down to um, the players. And there's so many championships around me. They're so well respected that you, you want to play for them. You, people want to play for or work for success. They do. Like, I mean, players want to. You want to play for a winner. No doubt. And, that's what they are. I mean, just they're, they're winners. I mean, Pittsburgh's always in the hunt. You know, I mean, not winning every year, but we're one of the teams that most people are concerned about. So I think it goes a lot to the rumors of how they run the organization. They are very classy people. Um, you know, it's, you would never know <laughs> how much they're worth if you're just around them talking to them. You wouldn't know that these people are, you know, uh, builders of a dynasty, and and not a dynasty that's just like a few years here and there, but a dynasty that kind of um, really goes across generations. I mean, the things have been good for for some time, and I, I bet you a lot of teams, a lot of teams, wish they had the success that <laughs> sometimes the Steelers fans we complain about. You know, one point <laughs> yes, everybody wants Tom Brady. Everybody wanted Tomlin to be fired, but I mean, I look at him now. Yeah, well, Defense wasn't good, but they're, they're playing solid now. And I think sometimes we don't really understand that. Sometimes during the season, it's ebb and flow. You have to, um, you have to kind of adjust. And the Steelers have done a good job of adjusting. And I mean, we probably would have won a lot more. I went to a lot more Super Bowls, but. You know, there's Tom Brady over there too. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, as much that's as I just, as much as I dislike that guy, he is he's a great quarterback, and he's been a thorn in our side for a long time. They they got a mindset, and you know, uh, not that the Steelers don't, but in anything, man, you got to win. You know, and um, you know they've been winning pretty good, but 
the students have too, you know, relatively speaking, they, they've done a good job too, so, yeah, it was, it was an amazing plan for them, and the Rooney's were outstanding owners, and um, I feel like I was privileged to be around them. All right. Two more questions, and I'll let you go. Hardest guy, toughest guy you ever went against? Uh, I'll have to say Barry Sanders. Oh, God. Um, yeah. we, we didn't play him that much at all, but he was the kind of guy that you watch a film, and he's just like, ooh, I don't want to be a part of his highlight tape. So, uh, <laughs> Barry Sanders, because he was, first of all, he was, I mean, he was short, but he was a big dude. I mean, he had big thighs. He had great gravity, great balance. Uh, good vision, and he can make a broken play into a hedgeless play. And yeah, a, a lot of guys are not like that. A lot of guys are not like that. So it would have to be Barry Sanders. Okay. The best best memory you had as a Steeler? Uh, probably that, that year we went to the Super Bowl, man. That was an incredible ride. I mean, we we went through the ups and downs. I mean, that three and four season, that three and four start was not pretty and didn't be able to have a fortitude to say, like, okay, we're going to change our mindset. And it worked. I mean, that was, I mean, he, I don't know where he got that from, where we just, we basically started the season over. A lot of people don't understand that, that we weren't even looking at the three and four spot. We are like, we were counting down, like, we're one and oh, two and oh, three and oh. Four and we were eight eight straight games, right? And that was, and then that ended up going to the Super Bowl. And individually, as a player, I had probably my breakout game that 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 game, and it was tremendous. And you know what's so funny? Like I told you before, I had a breakout game because I just got to the point where I'm just like team first, right? And that's a lot a, of people don't see it. That's that a way. life lesson. Yeah, that's a life lesson. I mean, that's a life lesson about maybe being able to grow and have a growth mindset and changing your mind and saying, you know, um, let me put others first. Yep. And once I started doing that, I mean, it started working out for me. Well, what are, what are, what are you doing now? I mean, what are you up to now as far as what's going on in LeVon Kirkland's life? Uh, well, I'm a sales consultant now and um, okay. at a car dealership. And, but, I'll probably be, uh, uh, what I'll probably be doing is at some point in time, maybe two or three years from, uh, from now, so I'll probably end up having my own, uh, kind of more of my own mentorship program with, uh, trying to help athletes, not just football players, right. um, really na- navigate the, <laughs> their whole life and be there, you know, kind of like an NFL PA. But okay. we're going to do it at a younger age. We're going to try to support um, student-athletes um, from the beginning, not wait until later on, but try to get that get that vital information to them, too. And we look at that. We call it uh, formulas. It's an E3. We call it E3. And okay. that means um, encouragement, empowering, and education. Okay. And so we probably awesome. started, you know, so we probably started in our uh, – in our, you know, my where I'm from first. That's what we we're probably probably implement that first program, and we're basically just trying to connect uh, successful people that we had coming from our hometown with the current generation now. And what we're trying to build is a lifelong support system. So 
you know, they can have somebody support them uh, during high school, during college, throughout their whole life. Right. So that's the network we're trying to uh, build up. Well, that, that's pretty awesome there. You always, like you said, you're looking out for somebody else, trying to look out for others. Uh, but that, that's yeah. pretty awesome there. You keep us posted on that. And like I said, uh, that's going to do it for today. I, we've, we've talked for a long time. I could probably talk to you all night if if you let me about Pittsburgh Steelers stuff. But, uh, Mr. Kirkland, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Like I said before, it, it's been a great honor. You just don't know. If you look in this office right now, there's Steelers stuff everywhere. But uh, yeah, I appreciate appreciate you doing this, and uh, like I said, it's, it's been a great time. An hour has went by really quick. An hour and 15 minutes has went by really quick. I hope I hadn't took too much of your time, but I've really, really enjoyed this. And like I said, I could talk all night to you, but I know you got a lot to do. Uh, well, thank you. I really appreciate it myself. I mean, um, anytime you ever need me, you want, you know, want me to talk to you on the radio, I'll be more than happy to do it. So thank you. Very right. humble by it. All right, thank you again. And guys, that's LeVon Kirkland, class act. Uh, I, I can't say enough about him. Uh, and we'll have this up on the Final Score website. Everybody can listen to it.